You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, this week, we have my favourite guest back in the studio. It's Brendan Ptolemy, Managing Director of Heron Top White. It's been... I reckon four months, Brendo. Yeah, time does fly when you're having fun. Here we are in May. Are we in May? Yeah, I was thinking this a couple of days ago. It feels like everyone says this, but the year just goes so fast at the moment. So many things have happened in the last four months, haven't they? Yeah, it is interesting to look back to January think about what happened in February, look at where activity is in the marketplace and then contemplate whether we are in fast forward or is this just the new normal, man? Interest rate rises, building companies collapsing, building companies shutting doors, boarding up the front gates, all this stuff going on in the last couple of months. Let's wrap it up in this conversation. We're going to add some sense to how the world's been over the last few months and provide some guidance as to where we think things are going and how the last four months is going to impact the next eight months. Yeah, that sounds great. And just like we have talked about in the past, there are some really conflicting stories around that dent consumer confidence. One of the major ones, obviously, being interest rate rises and the fact that we've had, what is it, 10 in 11 months now. I would expect consumers would probably like to know what, some of the background information to assist them in making good decisions. Let's start with interest rates and be commentary yep. on the fervor after the April pause. I found it quite surprising, one, still that it was a pause in April. But what I found more surprising was that the industry, including people who were supposed to be quite sophisticated in banks, were nearly putting social pressure on the RBA to say, like, this is it. This is the pause. They must be pausing now. This is it. Rather than trying to predict actually what's going on in the economy and be correct about their decisions, pragmatic. It seemed like as the whole world was closing in on the RBA saying this is it, obviously, right? Yeah. Did it feel like that to you? Yeah, absolutely. That pressure of them to come out and say, this is all over. The storm's finished. We're not in the eye of a storm. We're at the end of the storm. I agree in that uh, we saw... A lot of headlines, and maybe this is just the media cycle and and media writing an easy story, but there was plenty of articles not around, is that the end of inflation cycle, are the parameters that the RBA RBA analyze uh, at the end or in, in the parameters that they want them to be in? It talked more to, I saw more press around things like, right, well, fixed rates now can be just 4.5%. Let's go again. Fixed rates are dropping. Yeah. The fixed rates only drop when banks believe the prevailing rate are going to start dropping so they can make money on that. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. they wouldn't have dropped it if they didn't believe in their own minds that things are going to start dropping over yep. the next year. And look, it's possible that rates could still drop over the next year. Most banks consider it will. I don't think they're going out willy-nilly on that. Yeah. But- I just found it really surprising that the whole world sort of just jumped on this bandwagon, convincing themselves to try and convince the RBA that this is it. Yeah. And then they're all surprised last week when we had a 25 basis point increase and people were going, what, are you, what is going on? Yeah. And straight away, you know, oh, no, that sounds about right. And so, well, hang on a sec. Which one was it? Yeah. Was, were you correct last month or the month yeah. before? And, and really, I suppose the question will evolve this month as everyone uh, analyzes the commentary from the RBA as to whether they think there'll be another rate rise after this. I notice some of the press in the last week or so has been around from economists essentially saying the RBA didn't warn us in their previous commentary mm. that they thought that there was going to be more no, rate they, rises They definitely coming. did. Yeah. Because what's going on right now is I think Philip Lowe is at pains now to repair his reputation and the reputation of the RBA board given how misleading their comments a couple of years were yeah. to now jawbone down even further than what reality might be yep. where they're going to act in the future. Yep. So they've been at pains to say 
we're doing this one, but we might do more, or yeah. we're going to pause th- this month. We might not pause next month. Yeah. So it's really surprising that people thought, oh, that was it. Yeah. And so then if we link that to consumer behavior and what our valuers are seeing and hearing in the street, so to speak, from what we can see at the moment, there certainly hasn't been a dampening of consumer sentiment. The demand out there across a number of different suburbs is really strong. It'll be interesting to see whether that now ebbs backwards because of timing, i.e. we're going into colder months of the, the Perth marketplace and kids sports back on, those kinds of things. We're back out of school holidays. Essentially, everyone stays inside and doesn't go buying Mm. we'll see what happens but right at the minute the stories we're hearing trent are um things like in perth metro if you start up in the northern suburbs bankshire grove 43 groups to a home open where the agent actively said to everyone i'm opening this home once if you want to buy it you better come on this day they got 14 strategy yeah absolutely that's a very time efficient yeah and got 14 offers out of that process and the really interesting part about this is this is the 450 to 550 odd price range which sits right in underneath that median house price of Perth so affordability and people out there buying established dwellings in a location where they they do have an option to go a little bit further down the road and buy a block and try and build a house into a different price point Wembley just in the last week or so seen 10 offers on a house there where the market sentiment was around the idea that this would go for just under mid twos brand new product in that location and I think this shows the strength of demand for brand new product in good locations. They'll end up getting high twos for that. In the absence of any ability to build your own house. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there's a premium on that, the house part of the apportionment of value there. And we estimate that that's going to go for probably 15 to 20% higher than maybe some of the, the market and the agents have expected in that location. Records, I guess that would be. Yeah, so it's heading towards records for that location. Yeah. The other one, again, down Huntingdale Way, so southeast corner of Perth, something that was bought five months ago go which was bought at 400k it lines up with your renovation guest the other week so they've spent 100k on this renovation and selling it five months later at six hundred thousand dollars and there were 36 groups through that home open and they received 15 offers 600 grand in Huntingdale, man. Yeah, sounding strong <laughs> for my ears. Yeah. But then I wanted to just balance this out with an, another one, just a, a transaction with one of our team brought to our attention in terms of the higher end of the market and what you were saying about housing stock. So City Beach previously bought in April 2022 for 2.165. We're talking about a, a big five by three Italian eight mansion, plenty of arches going on and those kinds of things. A year ago. Yep, a year ago, 2.165. It's got a pool and all those kinds of things and a big double garage and a decent sized block. And that's just resold in February or settled in February for 2.1. So it's really interesting that it's it's slid it's backwards or, f- or flatlined. So that's yeah. interesting because I've got a close friend of mine, very successful fella who bought in February 21 in City Beach for $2 million flat. Yep. A year later, just changed to change of heart of where he wanted to live, wanted to live in apartment in Cot, sold for 2.9. Really? Yeah. 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 And so it'd be interesting to compare those two products because this was big family home, probably would need some work on it, would be pretty prime for a bit of a reno. And some people would see that as a project that's too expensive in this marketplace. Obviously, there's some other parts around, you know, why is the vendor selling? Did they need to discount it to get out of there? Those kinds of things. So, yeah, it's just interesting, those different comparisons. Uh, And, you know, look, I've I've heard the same thing. A couple of buyers agents I speak to, and I wouldn't suggest they're shy with their prices at all. Their job in this market, secure assets for their client. I don't think they're really focusing on value. They're focusing on acquisition of particular properties. And they're saying we are getting beaten all the time by 10%. Yep. 
and we wouldn't go that further. And I'm thinking, well, if you wouldn't go further and you're still getting beaten by 10% and there's some serious pressure in that market still. You think about weekly transactions, which is the demand side, obviously. You don't have a transaction without demand. It hasn't changed. We're still hovering between 950 and 1,020. It really hasn't moved from that, Brendan, since the start of the year. And really, for two and a bit years now, and you compare that to where it was five years ago at 550 a week. And in the last mining boom at about 800 a week, our demand has never been so strong and it just is not falling away yeah in the and meantime though supply yes i knew you were just like trying to supply holy moly what's yeah. going on so this is this is like you know we've been talking about this month on month each podcast every quarter just looking back at these supply numbers and going gee can't get tighter than that christmas it? yeah exactly. we, we were talking in christmas yep. and we yep. said Oh my God, it just passed 8,000. Yeah, same week last year is 8,025 listings. These are uh, re numbers as usual. Four weeks ago, 7,076. This week, listing numbers down at 6,452. <laughs> and houses of that, so you're out shopping for a house amongst those 14 people that have offered in the same dwelling that you're trying to buy. There's only 3,080 houses on the market at the moment. Yeah. It's absolutely unbelievable. And let's break that down for a second. If we're transacting at 1,000 properties a week, yeah. we're losing a couple of hundred properties a week off the market. Yeah. So only about 800 are coming to market, 1,000 are getting bought. Yeah. When does it stop? Because there has to be like a natural line there where you go, we don't sorry we don't have any more houses yeah and so this is the strange part of this market cycle that we've been talking about for a while but we get to that stage of so there's a bit of affordability here but it also comes back to basic supply of there's no churn in the market because there's a hold up in brand new houses coming out of the ground so they're not adding to supply the people that are going to those houses are not selling them anyway they need them they're coming out of their rental and their lease is over and their rent's gone up they need to get into their brand new house then those bottom end market is not turning over in terms of those new people going to new houses not selling them occupying staying where they there's are there's no mobility yep. is what you're saying then the next level of the marketplace goes oh well there's no one that wants to buy my house because they're all in their new house and I'd like to go and buy a new house for myself because I want to upgrade oh there's nothing to choose from, so I'll stay exactly where I am. Yeah, yeah, and that's how, that. Then just follows up that value chain. Yeah. So what happens when supply gets critically tight, Brendan, in our economics year nine <laughs> class, and <laughs> demand on, stays right. constant? Yeah, yeah. So well, clearly we would be expecting to see values increase, and I think that's still the the portion of this cycle that we haven't definitively seen. And that's why I thought that we'd talk about those numbers of people at home opens, mm. because when we talked about those in previous cycles, those types of scenarios and those stories, there was always a really dramatic value band attached to it definitive increase in values where we knew that the median house price would be jumping the next time we saw it come out. There is absolute step change in value. Whereas in this market, we're not seeing massive increases across the board. So there's still a lot of competition on those prices. And we're also still catching back up to our kind of median house price. So there's a lot of activity happening underneath the, the 550 median house price. So why aren't we seeing step changes in prices, Brendan? So above the 550, there's a whole lot less transactions and it's a median statistic. And so the median house price has not been driven up because there aren't enough transactions so you think above the 550. prices step changing, but we're just not seeing it because the way we measure the median? Yeah, I think we're starting to see that step change now. As people realize that they're in competition with 10 and 14 offers on the same house, mm. that's filtering out into the, the message out into the marketplace. You know what's interesting? When you talk talk about those anecdotes we had that as a norm in early 2021 
Yep. Remember that, that yeah, first yeah. quarter of 2021? It was mental. Yep. You were, it was exactly the same story as you were saying. Yeah, maybe yeah. slightly even tighter. We didn't have that maybe for the last year and a half. Yeah. Well, it's back again is what you were saying. It's back again. And the bit that we don't know here is why is that activity going up right now? With have, interest rates being so people, high. Yeah. Have people got comfortable interest rates? Did they just go last month and go, oh, that's it. The cycle's over. I'll go and buy now. So we'll have to wait and see what happens now that the, the RBA have gone again. But I would expect that demand and supply or the supply side of this argument wins, i.e. there's not enough houses and so therefore the demand stays as it is or gets higher and that will drive values up. I think it's not even so much about a choice. You don't have a choice. You have to live somewhere. If you can't live at mum's house because you've just emigrated here or because you're 45 years old, you need to buy somewhere or rent somewhere and you can't rent anywhere at the moment. We know those statistics. There's about 10% of the amount of rentals on the market than there used to be. You can't really rent viably. It's not much of an option for you. You go to buy, therefore you have to pay what you have to pay. That's just what it is right now. Yeah, so rental listings are at the moment around about 5.45. Four weeks ago, 6.36 and interesting same week last year is 580 so a little bit less but probably my concern around rental side of things is essentially the ability of landlords to be able to put up rents relatively quickly and just starting to hear some of those awful affordability stories so on the fringes of the the Perth metro area stories of families having to to share houses so families with multiple kids and all those kinds of things yeah Yeah. so small houses three by twos that kind of stuff with two or three families trying to live in there that's not a healthy story to hear and and even when I was on 6PR last week I had people calling up in that situation did they Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah yeah Interestingly, too, the, the selling days is dropping pretty quickly. So 16 last month and the lead indicator from Rewa at the minute is 12 days to sell as we go from April into May. That's nearly a natural zero yep. because it takes X amount of days to yeah, yeah. get it uploaded, to have a home open because you're not really doing your job as a sales agent if you don't have a home open. Yeah, You probably need at least seven days to get people to have a look at your asset. Yep. And then you've got to sign them up over the next day or two. So I would have thought your natural zero is probably eight or nine days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter. Even the settlement process hasn't uh, sped any of that up. Yeah. You know, maybe we've saved the day or two with electronic signature processes and those kinds of things these days on previous timeframes. But I think that you're right. Like it can't really get that much quicker than that, can it? No. Yeah. One of the other trends we, we just noted in the last month or so in terms of some of the transactions we've seen coming through from a contractor sale side of things is the concept of dual key dwellings. So, essentially something that got hammered in value because people didn't really understand the the concept in the previous downturn they look like they've nearly doubled in value some of these things so they were around about the 350 odd k mark we're talking about locations like Beldivis, lakelands and doorsville mm. and the concept is it's a three by two or a four by two that's relatively small and then the same block has got a two by one on there as well so attached to it yeah yeah so it's, it can almost be on the same roof as well a lot of the time they actually yeah. put them under the same roof make them look like one big yeah. home so that it gets approved from planning because a lot of local governments don't want to approve it yeah so yeah, it yeah. looks like one big house and then there's just a hallway where you put a door in the middle. Yeah, spot on. And so some investors are buying those thinking, here we go, this is a rental gold mine. Yep. I'll be able to get 900 odd dollars a week. And in, in reality, you're kind of getting more like 300 each way, you know, kind of 600 to, to 700 dollars yeah, a week. Yeah, I would yeah. suggest people listening to Just this whilst it is an interesting that. property type to look at. Yeah. It is a very niche market who will ever buy that back off you. Yeah. It is a niche of an investment market. Yeah. So, yes, it looks great from the front end on the rental yield side. Or it looks better. Yeah. But from the sales side, what's the one property, Brendan, other than old flats from the 60s that struggles the most? Yeah. It's the old duplex side by side. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Don't get involved in owning those properties if you don't have to, I'd suggest. That's my yeah. advice. Yeah, no, it's it's just really interesting to see people come for that in terms of looking for that outsized return when they compare it to a single residential dwelling. Let's talk about the building industry. Yeah, so... Um, you have your ear to the ground. <laughs> you have a lot well, of mates in the industry, yeah. Brendan. Well, yeah. Um, hopefully, there's As you shuffle friends. around your chair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think it's really interesting that we've had BGC residential home brands essentially shut up their sales shop. So selling zero more houses for the rest of this year and probably next. I think just so everyone knows, they're the biggest building company in Western Australia and they were the biggest in the country at some point. Yeah. At one point. Yep. And just through sheer size, sheer number of brands, brands that they've acquired over a period of time, that type of thing, they've they ended up being the biggest in Australia. So at the moment their statistics are that they've got four thousand houses left to build and that they aren't uh, set up to be able to sell any more houses into the marketplace. So they've taken a what I think is a pretty dramatic step and that is that they've shut down their their sales division. It's very understandable and very logical. If you can't build as what you've got in your pipeline, then why would you keep putting more into the pipeline? So you can understand their decision. Um, the whole admin team's gone as well. Yeah, so that would have been admin, would have been sales. Over 100 the, people. Yeah, and we're talking about, so when we're talking admin, that's the people that would have been scheduling contracts, people that would have been doing drafting, setting up designs, altering plans for customers, those kinds of things. We're talking about lots and lots of people that have left that business. I thought it probably would be a bigger story in our marketplace than uh, maybe it has. Well, maybe there's a reason it wasn't as big. <laughs> Who knows, Trent? Who knows why it wouldn't be a big story? <laughs> but essentially, they're saying they've got 4,000 houses left to build and they would build 2,000 for each of the next two years. So obviously they keep their subbies, they'll keep their building personnel on to manage through those contracts and manage through the construction. So certainly want to make it clear to people that are a customer of BJC that your house is still scheduled to be built. And I would imagine they're probably incentivizing people to stay on that are in those jobs mm. to make sure that that construction gets done. So Just don't expect any customer support anytime yeah. soon probably. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen there. And we want to be really careful to understand that this isn't a, a a collapse of a builder or anything like that they're not in financial strife they've essentially made their own call to say we're not doing sales anymore now because we're going to complete the construction that we have and i would have thought that they're a really big diversified business that they'd be financially sound to be able to do that oh look they're worth billions and they're making what they consider to be a prudent decision to not become the next porter davis yeah yeah you know to not be that next company that's literally gone broke or into administration and those thousands of jobs getting picked up by your dal alcox your summits yeah, home group WAs who will come in and pick up the pieces on a building insurance yep. claim. But there's a real precarious position you have to be in in the first place to not be able to support a business that's worth billions, yep. 100 staff through a downturn. Yeah, That's got to say something, Brendan, because yeah. if they were doing fine financially, even if there was little use and they said, look, we're not going to do much selling, you could have redeployed those people. Yeah, and so it comes back to which capacity do you have in your business? And and I think where they probably got really caught here is obviously sold a lot of homes with uh, building bonuses attached, both federal and state government bonuses. And they would have been working on the idea that they could upskill part of their workforce and also bring in capacity externally, whether that be from the East Coast or overseas, that clearly hasn't been as successful as they would have liked. So they haven't been able to scale up their construction capacity, hence where they've ended up with houses to build and, and not enough uh, capacity to do it. 
Do you think when they come out of this cycle, BGC is the same BGC that went into it? Is it a scaled down BGC maybe? Would that reflect many businesses in WA in the construction space where maybe they're actually a bit more pragmatic about their scale going forward? It's really difficult to project that. I'm finding it really hard to understand in my small business brain how you would restart a business like that. How do you flick that switch and and go back to say some team members that you've let go as as well as your, your customers and say, okay, here we go, we're up and we're selling again having said that they've got a lot of really strong brand names that what do you do i'm just thinking the other day what do you do with all the display homes you just lock them all up and walk away and go right we'll be back in that's two years the sales office that, that is home. effectively the sales office and if you don't probably have a, selling them yeah because they probably want the cash to be honest well some of them will have already been sold and leased back as well um mm, which is an interesting concept in itself from an estate development point of view you can't have anyone move into those houses you can't have people in the display living in the display village it doesn't work it's mm. not it's not the idea of how the display work, yeah. the village works and so yeah it, it remains for us all to wait and see as to whether they can actually start up again into the future then if you move from that thought and go well if they don't stand up and merely the fact that as of today there's the biggest builder in residential single residential builder in perth is not open for business anymore in terms of sales then then what does that do to affordability in our market availability of obviously buying either a brand new house or renovating yeah, throughput of new supply we, yep. the whole theme of this conversation is supply yep. they are the biggest proponents of new supply in this state yep. if they're not adding more supply there's no pipeline and they're saying we're not going to have a pipeline we were the company that had the ability to provide that now we're not yeah who is yeah exactly and so <laughs> the slack can't be taken up by anyone else immediately there might be some people th- sitting they're there all thinking full. gee i'd really love to be the competitor to bgc you're yeah. going to fly now well it doesn't work that way the other builders only have a certain amount of capacity so BGC are saying we're full, we've got 4,000 houses to build over the next two years and the next builders will clearly pick up some customers but they can't pick up the 2,000 odd per annum that we're sitting there waiting to come to BGC. MBA is saying that we should be building at least 14,000 houses per annum um, and that, that capacity. That. Oh, yeah, if you go to HIA, they'll be arguing more than that. So it mm-hmm. just depends on who you want to listen to but bottom line is that they're saying that our capacity to construct is only 10,000 single residential houses per annum. Which is what we were building for. 40 years ago yeah oh. so where did all the trades <laughs> it was a go? good stat far out yeah yeah well and so then you come back to the macroeconomics of the wa economy and go so where did the people go uh, we, we haven't had a lot of people leave the state we in haven't terms had a net loss you know how in the last six years mm. the market's obviously dropped and you go well a big proponent of that is a lower population the population never dropped it just didn't rise at the median increase we usually have yep. and we had a huge overrun of supply coming out of the last building boom yep. supply lags demand and we had years and years of low population growth trying to soak up an oversupply which is funny to obviously ironically we're in the exact opposite position now we've yep. got a continual demand that is unabating because of immigration and it was always going to happen coming out of covid and no capacity to provide that supply and the biggest proponent of that supply now saying we're not going to do it anymore yeah yeah Uh, and one thing we haven't spoken about as well which governs the capacity like it or not of every builder in this state is qbe who are the building indemnity insurance provider the only building indemnity insurance provider in this state yep and i know for a fact they are limiting the hell out of every single builder's qbe from the small guy to the big guy yeah their book essentially so that you could have a small builder who's going i'm doing really well i'm pricing right i'm financially viable and qbe going nah 
not going to increase you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even if they wanted to, the industry currently can't provide more because QBE won't even insure it. Yeah, that's a real concern. And that, that definitely is something that the government well, would paying, need to step they're into. They're paying out of their ass at the moment with all these building companies going down. Yeah. Why would they want to increase the book of all these builders? Yeah, and take on more risk. That's yeah. right. I was just checking the HIA numbers in comparison to MBA. They're saying we, we require 20,000 homes. We do. Our long yeah. run average is about yeah. 2,000 a month, yep. 24,000 a year, right? Yep. We've been starting about less than a thousand at the moment yep uh, that's where the gap is so if you can get a building contract trent is yeah. it is, is it as straightforward as going and building a house in terms of trying to make a re- return on property at the minute yeah so in the construction space i would suggest you want to be focusing on that small to medium builder who doesn't have too many projects on the go yep. who clearly know their stuff who've got ex- you know a good decade of experience in the game yep. who demonstrate the builds they're doing you can check the quality all those things you normally want to do but you should be able to ask where is your in building indemnity insurance cap sitting at? Is it going to affect the throughput, the timing of our development? Because I've seen builders who sit on projects, which is, you know, BGC is probably one of them because yep. they're capped out on their liability more than anything yep. for that year. How many starts they can start in the year? Yep. Make sure you check that with a smaller builder. But the feedback I'm getting right now is one, the builders who are building, there's obviously not a lot of competition in that space. So they're increasing their margins. They're now running at 25, 30% when pre-COVID just to get work, they were running at 15%. Yep. So it's costing you more. And they're also trying to get, I guess, some of that profit back that they lost when they were genuinely losing yeah, yeah. a bucket of money over the last couple of years. Yeah, the Qantas effect. I'll yeah. just crank it prices It is literally the Qantas effect <laughs> going on right now, yeah. And then uh, obviously all the trades are still operating at very high prices or record high prices. Some of those trades are dropping, the front end stuff, the wet trades like your brickies, your slabs. These guys have dropped yep. and their availability is much more normalized right now. So the, this builders I'm talking to are boasting to me that yeah look I'm really sorry about that one that went for 17 months but yep. we're confident we start today we could do it in nine months yes yeah yeah well, I'm hearing that? similar things yeah, yeah good. In, in particular from a couple of the biggest builders so they really confident about finishing what they've got they've also keep commenting on the fact that they think their quality is pretty good and then that supply of materials is or that that restriction on supply of materials is over and that they're into a more normal phase again so yeah, it's pretty interesting from that point of view the other thing but you're I'd, paying through the nose I, I was just going to say exactly that so if you are have been looking to build or are looking to build and you're looking back at old prices say you have built previously or you had a, a prior to COVID or prior to building incentive quote on construction then move on from it because yeah. those prices are never happening back. again they're never going to happen again i'm 33 brendan and i have the privilege now of being able to say i can't believe this back in my day <laughs> when i built my first four by two yes in dutch when i was 19 yeah yeah you know what the turnkey contract was that was for it was with home buyers center oh man i can't work that out off the top of my head but were we were you at 120 grand or something like 150 that? turnkey oh it wasn't too bad you weren't too far off yeah. right so that was 14 years ago yep that I signed that contract. Yeah, yeah. Fourteen that is years, unbelievable. we've now seen what is effectively a 250% increase in cost. Yep. Now, that is the underlying reason, in addition to demand and supply, but is the underlying reason why established housing prices are rising and will continue to rise. Yep. It's the replacement cost theory to assets. Yep. If your cost of replacing the, the asset in the market is higher than the prevailing cost of the established asset, yep. 
the established assets price must increase to the cost of the replacement cost. Otherwise, no more supply will come on. Yeah, yeah. It's basic demand and supply. Yep, absolutely. Right? That's what's happening in this market right now. So yeah. suddenly, these houses that are four by twos that you've been depreciating on your valuations for the last 20 years yeah. to say, well, look, it costs you 150 to build. It's probably only worth 90 now. Yep. It's probably worth 250 now yeah. <laughs> well, because of the, the replacement. dilemma. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yep. So to rebuild that Canningvale 4 by 2 that's 250 square meters with the theater and the study, those massive 2000s homes that were built, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have cost 100 and something grand to build. Yep. They would cost 400 grand to build. Yeah, spot on. So how do you write that into your valuation? Yeah, so we used to have some rules of thumb, so to speak, where you'd be doing your summation method of valuation. So that's essentially what's the land worth plus the depreciated value of the improvements. And we've had to throw that concept, you know, the, the summation still works, but the concept of it is almost thrown out the window what you do have to remember is that each time you're doing that as the market moves we are increasing the cost of construction so that effectively is meaning that if we do the replacement cost of that building today we're using the new higher rate per square meter we're still going to depreciate the house but it might mean that the depreciated value yeah, of that asset is, is higher than what it cost to build it originally which um, does make your head spin around a bit well, it's the first time in my lifetime where I've seen that yeah. I don't yeah. know about you yeah you know absolutely yeah it's it's the first time makes uh, your I've job pretty tough it does but like you were really the, smart the and maths <laughs> goes out the window a little bit it does yeah yeah because so then if we are in those newer suburbs in right across australia or just around suburban perth and you're sitting there you can see the land sales down the road so we do our direct comparison on that underlying land value even if you're in an established suburb you can see that the older houses being bought and knocked over then you can stand back and say, okay, that land value is X dollars. Then you go down the road and do an established dwelling and go, okay, well, I really know the underlying land value is X. How can the, the improvements yeah, exactly. be worth X dollars? And that's where we, we well, so analyze that market. Well, so a straight yeah. question. People will be asking you. you we were talking, you were ask me about what will a client for a new build be thinking. I'll ask you on the other way. When they go to put that to you for evaluation for the bank, you're looking at a brand new building Canningvale the land was $420,000 yep. which is prevailing price for a 400 square meter block surprisingly these days in Canningvale yep. and they have a $400,000 build contract they've put in front of you 820 grand plus stamp duty they've sold their house 20 years older but double the size for the same price yep how are you justifying that? Yeah, so we will obviously be doing some direct comparison on that. In terms of doing a finance valuation on that or any valuation, we want to find our most recent sales evidence of the new product so that we can say, okay, new product in that location is selling for X and how does that compare to what we would call the as-if complete valuation on the subject property? Mm. Then we would be looking at the difference between those two. And then we'd also go back to the old one and go, okay, that old one actually is established. You know, It's got established gardens and lawns and patios and pools and those kinds of things. Here we are with a brand new product. So how do they compare in the marketplace? There's always going to be a first though. Yeah. I feel that value is nearly hoping they're not the first because then they can just look at that guy down the road yeah, yeah. approve that valuation and then you just stand behind that because the first one's never going to be able to justify it. Well, we would have to go to neighboring suburbs then and still look at whether the market okay. is happy to pay that type of value. Yeah. At the end of the day, you are trying to justify what is the most critical part of evidence yep. which was the transaction yeah yeah There's and still so two willing parties here yeah we could also be going back and saying look we think that's overcapitalized and the construction cost is too high for that location do you, you think that's going to happen in this market <laughs> with it, rising escalating costs and prices it will happen in certain locations and as we've always said people need to be making sure that they're building the right house product for the location that they're building in so don't go and buy 
the most expensive single residential house brand and then put it in the mid-tier section of a subdivision because it's just not going to stack up. Yeah. Mm. Interestingly, we're hearing from the land developers that there are a fair number of cancellations within their estate. So essentially, we're seeing the idea of people that were going through the scenario that you're talking about, i.e., we have picked our house. We've now picked our block of land a while ago. We've been waiting for that title to get ready or the documentation to be prepared on the house. When we made these decisions around value and what we can afford, we were able to afford those repayments. Now our circumstances have changed. We've come to the time of getting finance approval. The valuation gets triggered by the bank and we go out there and do our valuation. But essentially the customer's turning around and saying to the bank, oh, hang on, because interest rates went up, I can I cannot now afford the repayments on what would be built on that, that block of land. And luckily those people can go back to the land developer and say, hey, look, can I cancel the contract and maybe I can buy something cheaper and, and make the numbers work for me? It's a conundrum everywhere though. Yeah. It, this is not a land-specific issue. No, it's no. construction yeah. issue as well. Issue. Yeah, they go hand in hand. The land fair price, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah I don't, we don't think any of the land really in, in general across Perth Metro is overpriced. It usually uh, stacks up from a value point of view. And most importantly, from doing a valuation point of view, we can see the market come and buy those cancelled contract blocks. So... They've got a, a title on them. They're ready to be built on straight away and they'll transact again for the same or more than what they transacted for previously. Blessing in disguise for the developer sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's quickly, if we can, project out for the next few months before you're back in again. Yep. Where do we think winter's going to look? Do we think quick shooter on some stats here? Yep. Demand, will it be the same, lower or higher per week? I think it'll go up. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's enough Im- immigration happening into WA to put pressure on demand. Yep. Do you think that we will rise above 7,000 before we drop below 6,000 in supply? Oh, where's the rebound coming? I I just can't see where the supply is coming from at this point in time. So it's hard to see that we would flick into a, you know, I'm I'm being facetious, but an oversupply before we get out of the undersupply between now and when we talk again. Okay. Interest rates? Interesting uh, one. I haven't. Uh, I if you had asked me prior to this one increase, I would have said there's one more increase coming. Yeah. But now that they've done it, and the RBA are talking about the idea that inflation isn't under control to their liking, there's plenty of economists say that inflation peaked back in December last year in terms of looking at their parameters that they like to monitor. I would expect there's probably another rate rise in there to peak out rates. Yep. That's an interesting point because it starts to talk to the ability for price to grow, which is the next question. Obviously, median house price, mid-500s, depending on who you ask, that's the home. The house is in the 600s, the unit's somewhere in the 400s, but the median dwelling price is in the mid-500s. A year ago, I made a forecast that I'm going to stick to my guns on that by the end of this cycle in Perth, our median house price will hit the 700s. I'm a valuer, Trent. I don't (laughs) like uh, making these crystal ball um, predictions, but... uh, It's really difficult to see how we don't track in that direction. As long as we get more transactions above the median house price at 550, because that will statistically drag us up. I'm just being really pragmatic about that. But how can we be more affordable or have a lower median house price than, say, Hobart and Adelaide? It just doesn't make any sense when you compare the economies of those two locations compared to us. Yeah, well, that's where it doesn't work from a really holistic point of view. And normally, and we say this often, when things don't make sense in a market, there's generally a very logical answer that will eventually prevail. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yep. 
Brendan, it's been fantastic having you in. Great for discussion, our mate. May chat. It's been very dynamic today. I love it. Thank you very much, and uh, look forward to speaking to you about regional markets soon. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having me, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast, or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!